Well, amen. Let's take our Bibles today. Turn over the book of Exodus. Exodus chapter 1. Exodus chapter 1. We're going to begin reading in verse 7. Read through verse 12. Exodus chapter 1. Looking forward to that, um, uh, those services with Brother Moon, and those will be coming up here faster than we can even imagine, just a couple of months away. Boy, things move so quickly. Time moves so fast, doesn't it? And it uh, just seems like it was Christmas, and now here we are already through the month of January and into February. It's amazing. It just really is, isn't it? And uh, before we know it, it'll be summer, and summer will be gone, and we'll be into the fall, and uh, it'll be Christmas again. <clears throat> So we might as well just go to heaven now and be done with it. (laughs) Amen. Chapter 1, verse 7. And the children of Israel were fruitful and increased abundantly and multiplied and waxed exceeding mighty. And the land was filled with them. Now there arose up a new king over Egypt, which knew not Joseph. He said unto his people, Behold, the people of the children of Israel are more and mightier than we. Come on, let us deal wisely with them, lest they multiply and it come to pass that when there falleth out any war, they join also unto our enemies and fight against us and so get them out, up out of the land. Therefore they did set over them taskmasters to afflict them with their burdens, and they built for Pharaoh treasure cities, Pithom and Ramses. But the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and grew. And they were grieved because of the children of Israel. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, we come to you. We ask, Lord, tonight you'd bless us. And, Father, much will be accomplished tonight. We look forward to our baby dedication tonight. Lord, tonight we also look forward to your word and what we can learn and how we can be encouraged by it and through it. Lord, meet our needs tonight. We're desperate people. We're needy people. We ask, Lord, that once again you would do a supernatural work in our lives. May we leave here, Lord, better for having come. Guide us and direct us now, Lord, and may your spirit speak. May your word truly improve us and better us. May we apply your truths, Father, and live our lives for thee. In Jesus' name, amen. In our passage, we're reading about the children of Israel in Egypt. We know that Joseph had interpreted Pharaoh's dream. And as a result of that, he had risen to power. Great power, as a matter of fact. His position in Egypt was eclipsed only by Pharaoh himself, which really is pretty high up in the hierarchy, if you will. He had a lot of power and a lot of authority, a lot of influence. Upon being reunited with his brethren, of course, he's encouraged to relocate the family to Egypt. And so his daddy and his brothers all show on up, and they, of course, are given a very, very good land, uh, one of the best lands of Egypt, and there they begin to, to prosper. There they begin as a family to grow, and generation after generation and begins to take uh, place. And I mean to tell you, this, great, this, this people that entered just a small number now becomes a, a nation. The Egyptians decide that it's just not working out. I mean to tell you, there's just too much power here. There's just getting to be too many of them, and they're going to overrun us if we're not careful. And especially if the enemy shows up, 
They'll just join forces with them and we'll be through. We'll be finished. And so they say, you know what we're going to do? We're just going to go ahead and put them under great bondage. Instead of allowing them to live freely in our culture and our society and side by side as neighbors, we're just going to go ahead and make them slaves. That's exactly what they did. The Hebrew people were now in bondage. In bondage in Egypt. And it appears, and it is very likely, that they had a part in some of the great structures, as we see here, that were built. They themselves, slave labor, doing the work of the Egyptians. A very harsh life, very difficult life, a burdensome life. wasn't pleasant in the least. Can you imagine being a slave there in Egypt? You're, it means nothing. Your life means nothing. You mean nothing. You're simply a, a, a body. And if you can't do the work, then they just kill you. They get rid of you. And so here they are now in Exodus chapter 1 verse 12. The Bible says, but the more they afflicted them, <clears throat> the more they multiplied and grew. Boy, I'll tell you what, the Israelites weren't going down easy. They were going down with a fight, so to speak. Now, again, they weren't physically fighting, but God was fighting on their behalf. And here he had a purpose and a plan for them all along, and they're growing. And the Bible goes on to say, and they were grieved because of the children of Israel. The Egyptians weren't happy with the fact that they kept growing. They kept getting stronger. So they still grew, and they grew, and they grew, until finally God sent a deliverer by the name of Moses. And yet, even after being delivered, they found themselves in difficult situations, dire straits on a number of occasions. And yet, they just kept pressing on. Every time they met with an obstacle, they kept going. Every time they had something in their way, they just sought to go around it or over it, under it. Move it aside. Whatever it took, but they didn't quit. They just kept going. For 40 years, they wandered through the wilderness. 40 years, funeral after funeral after funeral after funeral after funeral. And yet they continued to press on. They continued to move forward. Why'd they press on? Because of the promise. Because of the promise. You say, promise? Yeah, what promise? Turn to Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. There was a promise that they had been given. <clears throat> whether they were in Egypt or whether they were in the wilderness, it didn't matter. Whether they, uh, wh whatever they were doing, whatever they were going through, they had a promise and so they kept on fighting. They kept on going. They wouldn't quit for anything. Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house into a land that I will shew thee. In Deuteronomy chapter 1 verse 8, the Bible puts it this way, Behold, I have set the land before you. Go in and possess the land which the Lord swear unto your fathers. Your fathers Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. To give unto them and to their seed after them. There was literally a land that God had for this people. A land where they were ultimately going to dwell. A land where God had intended that they raise their families. A land where they were to prosper. They'd been given a promise by God. And it was none other than that land. The promised land. It would sustain them. It would supply them. It would meet their needs. 
And every time they were confronted with a difficult situation, every time they faced a hardship, they began to think about the promise. They began to say, listen, the land is still before us. If we can only arrive there, if we can only get to that place, then guess what? It'll be better then. It was the hope of that land that moved them and motivated them to keep going. They dreamed of occupying that land, dwelling in that land, and living in that land. They dreamed of raising their families there, caring for their cattle there, prospering in that land. The land brought them hope. It brought them courage and strength. And it enabled them to face the hardships and the trials of life. Every time weighed down, every time burdened down, I can only imagine them saying to themselves, if only we can reach the land, if only we can arrive safely in that promised land, it will all be better then. So this was the great hope of the Israelites in that day. A land. What enabled the Israelites to forge ahead amidst the affliction of both Egypt and the wilderness? Well, we just said, the promised land. Their hope, their expectation of arriving there, dwelling there, kept them going when things seemed utterly hopeless. Today, what keeps us going? You say, well, the Lord keeps us going. Of course He does. I know. I understand that. That's wonderful. And He does. But may I also suggest a land? A land. There's a land that is fairer than day. And by faith, I can see it afar. For the Father waits over the way to prepare us a dwelling place there. In the sweet by and by, we shall meet on that beautiful shore. In the sweet by and by, we shall meet on that beautiful shore. Let me tell you something today. Even today, where we are today, when we think about the future, we think about a land, my friend. A land. The hope of arriving safely on those shores to meet our Savior face to face and dwell eternally with Him forever. It'll give us courage. It'll give us strength. It'll give us faith to keep on going, to face the difficulty, the discouragement, the disappointment, the hardships, the heartaches. It'll enable us to keep on going. That land will do that for you. That's why the Lord Jesus Christ admonished us in Colossians chapter 3, verse 2. He said, set your affections on things above, not on things on the earth. He understood that it's going to be that land. It's going to be that day. It's going to be Christ and His abode. That's what's going to keep us going when it gets difficult and it gets tough. Jesus had just gotten through telling His disciples of His departure. Turn, if you would, to John 13, 33. John 13, 33. <clears throat> There in the book of John, chapter 13, verse 33, Jesus says, Little children, yet a little while, and I am with you. Ye shall seek me, 
And as I said unto the Jews, whither I go, ye cannot come. So now I say unto you, so now I say to you. He said, listen, in a little while I am with you. Hey, I ain't got much more time, fellas. I'm not going to be around forever. And I, and I'm telling you, those disciples were so discouraged. They were so sorrowful. Then it comes to the point in chapter 14 that we read these wonderful words spoken by the Lord Jesus Christ in verses 1 through 3 of John chapter 14 when he says, Let not your heart be troubled. Oh, what are you going to tell us, Jesus? How are you going to perk us up? How are you going to make us feel better about the situation? I mean, you're not going to be here any longer to bring us comfort, strength, or provision. What are you going to say that's going to make us feel better? Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, there ye may be also. I want you to know that there's going to be a place and I'm going to prepare it. And you're going to meet me there. And we're going to dwell together there. It's going to be a place with many mansions. I want you to know when it gets difficult and it gets tough and it gets hard in life. I want you to look up and remember there's a land that you have to look forward to. I'm always amazed when I read about the martyrs. They endured such sorrow, did they not? Such heartache, such grief. I don't think any of us in this room could even comprehend what they endured, what they went through. Now, maybe in the future one day we will, but, you know, at this point, God has blessed us with the, the wonderful privilege and the liberty to go forth and proclaim the gospel without fear of hurt, harm. But John Bradford, a preacher, a young man, and a young man by the name of John Leaf, he was simply apprentice. They both suffered for the testimony of Jesus Christ. In 1555, I love this particular account and I often share it because it's touching to me and it's an amazing passage when you consider the circumstances they found themselves in. When they came to the stake in Smithfield to be burned, can you imagine going to be burned at the stake, literally now? I mean, try to put your, yourself there. I mean, you're literally going to be burned to death. Because of what you believe. And your unwillingness to recant what you believe. Often people would say, you know what, if I was there, I would, I would never recant. I wouldn't do that. I would, I'd be burned before I'd do that. I'm going to tell you the honest truth. I'm going to trust the Lord to give me grace because I'd need it. I'll be honest. I'd like to be able to tell you right now, without a doubt, no doubt about it, I wouldn't be burned. I'd burn. Yeah, go ahead. Do it, buddy. Burn me at the stake. I'll just have to wait for the Lord to give me grace. Because right now, thinking about it, I, I don't even like to get shocked. I walk around right now, I'm like touching everything. I'm like going like that because I don't even like to get shocked. I can't imagine the thought of being burned, my skin melting off of me. Anyway, they came to take to the stake in Smithfield to be burned and Master Bradford, it says, lying prostrate on the one side of the stake, and that young man, John Leaf, on the other side, they were laying flat on their faces. They were praying to themselves for just a minute or so. And one of the sheriffs said to Bradford, he said, Arise and make an end, for the press of the people's great. The crowd started gathering, started getting difficult. He said, Listen, we've got to get this thing started. We've got to get going. And at that word, they both stood upon their feet, and they 
and, and then Bradford, he, he took one of the, one of the, 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 the sticks of, uh, the, I guess, that was going to be burned there in his hand and he kissed it. And likewise, he kissed the stake. When he had done that, he desired for the, of the sheriff that his servant might have his raiment. He said, listen, I have nothing else to give him. Besides that, he's a poor man. The sheriff said he could have it. And so, forthwith, Bradford did take off his outer garment and he, he went to the stake. And holding up his hands, casting his countenance to heaven. He said, Oh, England, England, repent thee of thy sins. Repent thee of thy sins. Beware of idolatry. Beware of Antichrist. Take heed. They do, no de- they do not deceive you. And as he was speaking these words, the sheriff bade tie his hands if he won't be quiet. Oh, Master Sheriff, said, the, said Master Bradford, I'm quiet. God forgive you this, Master Sheriff. One of the officers which made the fire, hearing Bradford so speak to the sheriff, said, If you have no better learning than that, you're but a fool. Or best hold your peace. To which, to the which words, Master Bradford gave no answer, but asked all the world forgiveness. And forgave all the world and prayed the people to pray for him, and turned his head unto that young man that suffered with him, and said, Be of good comfort, brother, for we shall have a merry supper with the Lord this night. And so spake no more words that any man did hear, but embracing the reeds said thus, Straight is the way, and narrow is the gate that leadeth to eternal salvation, and few there be that find it. You kidding me? I mean, honestly. Here's a man that's literally being tied to a stake. He's going to, he's the flesh being melted off his body. This man looks over at a young man and simply says to him, Be of good comfort, brother, for we shall have a merry supper with the Lord this night. Can I tell you what was getting him through the thought of being burned at the stake? Can I tell you what really meant the world to him in the midst of that mess and those circumstances he was in? You want to know why he didn't recant when he had opportunity to recant? I'll tell you why. Because he had Jesus in heaven and there he was looking forward to a land. And he had a land he was headed to. He had a land that was fairer than day, my friend. He had a land to look forward to, and he had a supper to look forward to. He had a Savior to look forward to. We're reminded of George Wisehart at St. Andrews in Scotland, March the 1st, 1546. He is preparing to die, and when he was preparing to die, he exhorted the people by saying these words. I'll read them to you. He said, I beseech you, Christian brethren and sisters, that you be not offended in the word of God, for the affliction and torments which ye see already prepared. But I exhort you that ye love the word of God and suffer patiently and with a comfortable heart for the word's sake, which is your undoubted salvation and everlasting comfort. 
Moreover, I pray you, show my brethren and sisters which have heard me off before, that they cease not nor leave off the word of God, which I taught unto them after the grace given to me, for any persecutions or troubles in this world which lasteth not, and show unto them that my doctrine was not old wise fable after the constitutions made by men. And if I had taught men's doctrine, I had gotten great thanks by men. But for the word's sake and true evangelist, evangelist, he put, says evangelist, it's the way they talk. He says, which was given to me by the grace of God, I suffer this day by men, not sorrowfully, but with a glad heart and mind. Did you just get what I, did you hear what I just heard? He says, I suffer this day by men, not sorrowfully. But with a glad heart in mind, for this cause I was sent, that I should suffer this fire for Christ's sake. Consider and behold my visage. Ye shall not see me change my color. This grim fire I fear not. And so I pray you to do, if that any persecution come unto you, for the word's sake. And not to fear them that slay the body, and afterwards have no power to slay the soul. Some have said of me that I taught that the soul of men should sleep unto the last day. But I know surely, and my faith is such, that my soul shall sup with my Savior Christ this night, for whom I suffer this. <laughs> George Wiseheart. Hey, George! How is it that you don't mind suffering at the stake? How is it that you're happy to be where you are for Christ's sake? How can you possibly leave family and friends and church and others behind? How is it that you can have this attitude? How is it you can face the end like this? How is it you can possibly suffer agony and torment like you're going to suffer? How is it? He said, listen, I don't know about you guys, but I know one thing for sure. I save, serve a Jesus and he's alive today and he's in that land and I'm going to that land. I'm all right with it because I'm going to the land. He had a land to look forward to. A land to look forward to. These and other great men and women stood strong in the face of agony and death because they knew some things. They knew someone bigger than themselves by the name of Jesus Christ. And they knew something better than what was heaven. Romans chapter 8 verse 18. Turn there if you would please. Romans chapter 8 verse 18. We read there in the book of Romans, it says, For I reckon that the sufferings, I reckon meaning not, I guess, I reckon it to be so. It's as good as done. For I reckon, it's as if it is and always has been. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. The writer says, listen, I've got a land I'm heading to. And I know it's tough down here. And I, I too have been uh, whooped and beaten. I too have been left out in the sea 
floating around hoping for my very life. I've been in situations that have been difficult. I've had stripes and I've had difficulties. I've had the church that's even turned their back on me at times. It doesn't matter because the fact is, the reality is, the truth is, I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. I've got a land I'm looking forward to, Paul says. Turn, if you would, to Revelation chapter 21. In Revelation, we read of that city, that that city that's so wonderful, it's really impossible to truly describe, I'm sure. But John did the best he could. A city by the name of New Jerusalem. Look in Revelation 21, verse 1. It says, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away. There was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. There shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. Or that city is described as having walls of jasper and streets of gold. It's filled with mansion after mansion after mansion. It's a land that we as believers have to look forward to. I mean, the Israelites were in bondage. Oh, they had a land. A land that they longed for. A land that they looked for. A land that often kept them going in the midst of turmoil and trouble. We have a land. We have a Savior and a land to look forward to. And the truth is, is that we need to be looking up. We need to be expecting and looking forward to that land. Because life is going to throw some curves our way. And difficulties are going to come. And tragedies will strike. But we have a land to look forward to. I'm kind of homesick for a country to which I have never been before. No sad goodbyes Will there be spoken? For time won't matter anymore. Beulah land, I'm longing for you. And someday, on the There my home shall be eternal, land, sweet land. Man, we're looking for a land today. No one ever said it would be easy. Even God himself said that we can expect trouble and trials. But I'm going to tell you what we do have. 
We've got a land to look forward to. I know sometimes it's hard to picture that land. We lose sight of it amidst the chaos and the confusion of life. The busyness of our schedules. We forget that there's a future that lies ahead. But may I say, when you find yourself in the most difficult trials, the most difficult troubles of your life, remember that land. And i got to believe, and I have seen evidence of it in the lives of so many others that have gone on even before, that it will keep you going another day. It will keep you going. The hope of a land. And in that land is none other than our Savior, Jesus Christ. May God help us to keep our eyes on that land and on the Lord Jesus. Father, we come to you. We thank you so much, Lord, for your love and your grace in our lives.